we are back with another Black Window Cream podcast. New episode every single Wednesday and Sunday. I'm your host, Ben Haggerty, a.k.a. Ben Real Verse World. And this is episode 182. Today's guest is Tony Yacenda, who is best known for creating and directing the hit series on Netflix titled American Vandal. Also, his creative work with Little Dicky on viral music videos like Save That Money, Freaky Friday with Chris Brown, and so much more. This dude is a legend. Today, we talk about how American Vandal got greenlit, the challenges of getting a show off the ground, and the pressures of having a network spend millions of dollars on your ideas. We talk about his relationship with Little Dicky and how his early collaborations with Dave allowed Tony to test out his ideas and work in a collaborative effort, which would later help him strive on major production sets with massive teams. He tells us about how he was able to direct three episodes on Little Dicky's new hit TV series on FX titled Dave and how all of that unfolded. All of this and so much more, we are stoked to have you. This episode is a banger. I also wanted to let you know that we have two other episodes that dropped today and I would love for you to check those out on episode 183 we have producer andrea aka produced by dre who shares some really cool stories behind her latest work on post malone's circle music video shoot as well as travis barker rick ross and little wayne's new give me brain music video and on episode 184 we have past podcast guest and photographer dusty kessler dusty calls in from Easy's house where he's been quarantined for the past six weeks and fills us in about their recent photo shoots he also shares some insight to working with budweiser during the super bowl for the past two years and everything that goes behind the scenes on projects like that. Make sure to download those on whatever podcast platform you listen to so you can check them out when you have time. But if this is your first time tuning into the podcast, you're probably wondering. What the fuck is Black With No Cream? Great question. Black With No Cream is the illest educational resource for content creators fueled by caffeine. Or at least I take my coffee Black With No Cream, but you can drink or not drink whatever caffeine you fuck with and still be a part of our community. We have thousands of members from all around the world working together by sharing content, asking for feedback, passing tips and tricks along to one another with the goal of pushing each other to become the best motherfucking content creators on earth. And you can join our private group if you want to by going to bwnc.com join. We would love to fucking have you. Please join. We are stoked for you to hear this interview today, but before we get started, I want to let you know about our second channel that we just launched on YouTube, the Black Window Cream Podcast Highlights. We upload some of our best, most jam-packed, educational, and entertaining moments from each episode and give them to you packed with B-roll and behind-the-scenes content. Make sure to subscribe to that channel right now. We will be updating it every week with new content. You can find the link in the description below. And without further ado, I bring to you this episode with Tony and the most epic podcast intro ever created, right, mother? The fucking now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Tony is in the house. Can you hear my crowd clapping? <laughs> I am in a house. You're That's in a true. house. <laughs> You're not in this house, unfortunately. <laughs> How you been, man? We've been trying to. I mean, I wanted to do this for a while. You've been on my hit list since I started the podcast, I think. Um, because we met. Damn, dude, we met. That was, was like that? three years, five years ago, four years ago, four maybe four years ago, doing the EA job with. Dave and um, Rob Gronkowski and those guys. That had to been four and, years ago. And Antonio Brown. Yeah. So much has happened to all of us. I know, right? <laughs> it's so true. Dave has a TV show. Antonio Brown is disgraced. It Bronk is true. Has retired and then unretired and is yeah. now a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. That's really crazy and, to think about. And through all of this, we text each other occasionally. But now and, we're finally doing it. Yeah, it is true. And I think after we finished the shoot, Von Miller went on to get paid like an obnoxious amount of money for his contract. I remember seeing him like a week after we shot and and just standing next to him thinking he was so much more richer than he was the week before. Like, oh my yeah, God. yeah. Good for uh, him. I yeah, like that. Von Miller was cool. He was really cool. 
I think um, what was cool was when we were editing those videos, I think you had you had left for a meeting um, with, I, I, we can bounce around, but at that time you had left for a meeting uh, for to pitch American Vandal. That's right, yeah. That was like right we were, around that moment. I came back to you and I'm like, I think Hulu was going to make a, a script offer. And was that was like Hulu? the beginning of like the bidding war was we had the uh, the Hulu pitch while I was editing, while we were editing the uh, the Madden spot. Yeah. So that, that's insane to have had that moment. And you say that, I'm like, damn, that sounds cool. And you're like, yeah, it's like this fun, like funny show. And you kind of like soft pitch it to me. And, and then to see it come to life now down the road, like, holy shit, man. Like with Netflix, like taking this to a whole nother level, um, watching it. I remember watching it with my girl and we were just like crying, bro. Cause it's so good. And, and you just learn, you feel like, uh, <laughs> that it's real shit. <laughs> like you really believe like you, the way you did it was so good compared, like compared to all of their other projects that are similar, but for real, for real, you know what I mean? Thank you. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we knew the conceit was this is going to be a dick joke. That's kind of the, the premise that brings you in. But if, we uh, use the documentary tools that they used in the Jinx or Making a Murderer or Serial as as effectively as those filmmakers made it. Could we pull you in and get you to care about who drew the dicks? This medium stakes crime, and could we use it to like Trojan horse a story about a high school? Um, and I'm glad I'm glad it worked that we could get some jokes off. Yeah. But then also kind of say something about what it is to be an adolescent these days. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's cool to see these from this perspective, these kids like in high school, just bopping around trying to like kind of chase something. But the creative aspect of it and like the bonding of, you know, your friend group in high school or it was high school, right? Where the junior high. Yeah. Yeah. It was high school. High school right. Yeah. Just seeing mm-hmm. people come together on a specific like goal or belief, like just the way kids moved at that time reminded me so much of me in high school with my friends, like bonding over something, whether it was like important or not, but like, Oh cool. We got to do this thing. And, and this is the objective. It was, it was important to you at, at, at the time, right? Like that's what, uh, like it getting expelled was capital punishment through mm-hmm. the lens of a, an 18 year old, right? Like it's somewhat funny for us looking in, to be like, they're not doing a documentary about a, a murder conviction uh, like I'm used to seeing. Now it's just a kid getting expelled for graffiti. Right. But then you remember when you were in high school, that shit was important. It was like and, the biggest thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh shit, that's really gonna go down. How did, okay, so for that, um, since we're in it right now, what, for you guys, are you the, you guys co-created it? It was you and another partner, right? Yeah, me and Dan Perrault, who okay, I right. knew back at Emerson College, and we've been working together for a while. Right. So how long were you guys in development trying to create the, the idea for it before you even got to that pitching point? Um, it was it was pretty quick. Um, I think I had, I had the idea in February, and by early April, we had the offer from Netflix. So we were probably wow. doing that in March. Yeah, right. Uh, that was like the first pitch. Wow. So going into we it. Had, we had known, because we had been doing a lot of like 
documentary comedy stuff. We did this series of 30 for 30 spoof shorts. We did 30 for 30 Space Jam, 30 for 30 Rocky Four, like treating these silly sports movies as if they really yeah. happened. So we were flexing those muscles a little bit there. And then the, the, the little Dicky video, Save That Money, kind of plays with documentary and narrative in unique ways. So I knew I like wanted to do something in that space. And then we're like, you got to do something with true crime. And then once we had the idea of this, like medium stakes, juvenile crime at a high school, it, it started to like really write itself. And that's all we thought about for the next few months as we were pitching it, we broke, we ended up like breaking the whole season. Um, and a lot of change, a lot changed in the writer's room after that, but that pitch to Netflix, um, I guess I'm rambling now, but the no. way it worked, what you saw when I came back uh, at Hulu, it, we did like a 20 minute pitch. That was kind of like the premise of the show. I would say like what we want to do, how we can use true crime tools to tell the story of a high school. And then Dan was kind of in character as one of the documentarians. And he had like a, a manila folder of like yearbooks that are marked up with notes and like a picture of the whiteboard dicks and the parking lot dicks. And he was like talking about this as if this was a, a real case. So it was a fun little 20 minute pitch. And we went to Hulu. We went to like the Viacom companies. We went to a bunch of different places and got some script deals, some like pilot deals and stuff. And then by the time we got to Netflix, they don't really do pilots. They'll either go straight to, they'll do some script development, but uh, they don't do pilots. They'll go right. straight to series. So they're like, we can't give you a full series based off of a 20 minute pitch. But if you want to come back in and walk us through the first season, we'll do that. So that's what, that was the, the bigger pitch was like a hour and a half, two hour pitch where we're kind of breaking down all of the characters, the big turning points throughout the season and where we met out, who did it, all of that stuff. And then, wow. uh, yeah, so that was, that was early April. That's insane how quick that happened. <laughs> uh, and, and everybody told me how crazy it was, how quick everything was happening. And now being in development and waiting on deals to get done and seeing how it typically works, I, uh, yeah. Yes, it has right. been super quickly. So with, with that, um, at the time when you kind of started leaning into this like true crime, was it just based on the idea of like, clearly these platforms are looking for this type of content and maybe there's an opportunity for them to be also interested in a parody of it in that sense? Or was it just like this idea is so good and these are the platforms that obviously would probably bite first, but was that in your, in your uh, planning? I get, I wanted to make it was, was the first thing. Like I thought it was, we would be doing something that's, uh, that's really unique, mm -hmm. um, that had never been done before. I think obviously fake documentaries have been hundreds of them. Um, but documentaries have really evolved a lot. Uh, and most fictional documentaries still have that sort of Christopher guest, uh, spinal tap, fly on the wall sort of documentary feel. Um, obviously documentary now strays from that. And like those Andy Samberg, like seven days in hell, they feel right. more like, do, uh, sports documentaries or they, they have different structures and, and aesthetics. Um, 
but what we were trying, what we wanted to do was something different where it was actually, it was not just a vessel to get parody jokes, but it was a vessel to get you to care about the mystery in the same way you care about the mystery when you're watching Making a Murderer, but it's just these comedically small stakes. So I, I just, I wanted to make that. Um, and we were career wise, we were at a point where, uh, getting a TV show was way loftier than, uh, than we ever thought we could achieve. But there was like Verizon Go 90. There was, uh, full screen was producing Vimeo Pro. Like there were like these, these digital platforms that were making plays where they were like decently funding, uh, the, premium web content. So my thought was I would rather do the 90 minute version for Verizon go 90, even if nobody saw it, but I'd be able to make it. I'd rather that than a script development with Netflix that ends up never happening. Um, So that was like my mentality going into it. So then it was, uh, when, this guy at CBS, Alec Botnick, who I had a relationship with, uh, was talking me into like pitching it to traditional networks. Um, I was, I was like, well, but as soon as we get no's from them, I want to be able to pivot quickly to Verizon Go 90. And he's like, sure, I love it. Two months shopping agreement. Uh, and I'll try to use that as like a sales tool and be like, look, these guys are going to make it one way or the other, right. but you can make it the, the full TV show if you, if you like the idea. Uh, and we were lucky to get multiple interested buyers and be able to get our way to like do the, the full show. So he was your liaison to the networks for, to get to yeah. eventually so, get to Netflix. See, he works at CBS television studios. Uh, and he's a, a development executive, a really smart guy. And, uh, yeah, so CBS owns it, the IP, but Netflix is the network and they, mm. I, the, the, the studio network dynamic is something that I don't fully understand, but I know it's like kind of changing out where like it used to be Netflix would work with anybody. Now Netflix has their own studio and they like are really incentivized to keep it within their own studio so that they right. own all of their own IP. Same with like Disney plus and Fox and everybody wants to kind of keep it in house. Right. That's really interesting. Damn. That's crazy. So for, for you at that point, I mean, this is like the biggest change in your pivoting point in your career. Yeah. Like, uh, American yeah, for Vision. sure. I mean, you had already done so much damage and uh, we'll talk about Dave's stuff and how that kind of turned into the show, but there was a lot of really cool moments that you had prior to that, but as something of a co-creator of a show that landed on one of the biggest streaming platforms ever, this is fucking insane, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's somebody writing checks now for, um, millions of dollars taking a risk on a idea that I had, you know, so that's, it's different than, like I, I um, and in, certainly indebted to to Dave for hearing my pitch and and uh, feeling like I was the guy to direct his music videos. But his skin in the game is different. The, you know, those were ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollar music videos. Right. 
this is a different scale. So yeah, it was stressful, but uh, it was invigorating, you know, it was, and luckily it was like a specific enough, weird enough show that I, I was able to kind of know what the rules of the world were and, uh, and the, it wasn't so big that uh, the network was wanted to get their hands on it too much and they were like very trusting and we had like really great collaborators and they let us make this weird show that's so awesome and i mean it gets it got greenlit for season two so you guys would yeah. knock that out um what what would be some advice that you would give to anyone that's trying to take their show from idea to fruition like anything that you could kind of if they maybe they get into the situation say they got past the pitching point and they are now able to go and start shooting what what would be a piece of advice you could give to someone a new director new creator the best, the best advice i got from a creator um was that you know the rules of your show uh and like you need to have these guardrails up so if something violates that the the rules of the show and you know like that is absolutely not the show you need to fight to the death to to keep it within those those guardrails right? right but within those guardrails there's a tremendous amount of room for collaboration right there's so maybe i prefer one joke to another joke or i would cast somebody else over what the other writers want but if it's not like out of the tone of what the show is if it doesn't violate your core principles then it's a collaboration and and you should be you you shouldn't be you should be open and and not a tyrant unless you have to be then be a tyrant right oh, damn i love that that's so true and and so many good things come from collaboration and and some people may come in kind of stubborn to the point of that but as soon as you kind of let relax a little yeah. bit and be open to it so much magic happens in those moments yeah yeah exactly so there's you know, there were plenty of times when I'm like, I let, I preferred this punchline to this punchline, but it seems like the other one is getting more laughs and the other writers like it. So yeah, let's do that. But right. then there were also a handful of things where they're like, we want this storyline and it would be nine to one. I'd be the only person in the writer's room. I was like, no, that just wouldn't happen in a true crime documentary. I won't be able to do that. And I would just like, it must have been frustrating for for the other writers, but I just like I did know what I was com- like what my rules of the world were, and if it violated right. that, yeah, you have to fight to protect protect it. Yeah, um, I I mean we could talk about this all day because I want to respect your time, so <laughs> keep bouncing, bouncing around because you've got <laughs> a slate slate of history of iconic work that you've done. Uh, iconic, go, iconic man, it's iconic. Like for you to come into the game you know, through comedy and creating these, I mean, that's like all, when I was in college, it's like all I dreamt about was like trying to make funny videos that my friends would laugh at. And then you start to find out like that there's platforms that like Will Ferrell's in in charge of and in your, what? And then you start looking into a little bit farther and that's the, that's kind of your dream. And somehow it always shifts, but for you to kind of go through that route and untraditionally kind of get into this TV space, through making music videos and like really exploring boundaries as far as like d- just diff Dave for Dave and little Dicky for people who don't know the v- the music videos that he makes are just such a high level and different approach to music videos where it's like 
he really seems to care about them versus just we have 100k let's shoot it in a club call it a day just make them look as cool as hell you guys took these different approaches which has has just i don't know proven your value of understanding how to tell stories in my opinion yeah thank you thank you for saying that and i uh, i love uh i love those videos you know it's, it's such a different experience than american vandal which was like an idea i had with a writing partner but it was you know i'm the i'm the person kind of steering that ship completely whereas with the uh, little dicky music videos i'm elevating somebody else's comedic voice mm. uh and that was a fun challenge too and i guess what made that so much fun was that if i wasn't involved like i would be a fan of his material right so like american vandal was fun because i was making something that i felt like i would watch that's that's kind of what our goal is right like when you were making those funny videos growing up with with your friends in high school you were doing it because it made you laugh and you right. wanted to make them laugh so it's like just an extension on that so then to see somebody that i felt like had a really <laughs> unique voice and and made me laugh and i thought was so talented it was cool taking what i thought was working and figuring out the ways that i could make him even better right yeah no i love it and i think that that's why the numbers are always so crazy. You know what I mean? If you look at the way this viewership goes through, I remember learning about little Dickie through, I think it was like a Buzzfeed arc or someone talked about how he was able to use his fans to like become his own record label in fundraising. And I've gone back to that in different occasions where I'm like, this is an instance where he was able to soft pitch his fans to give him money to be able to create these videos that he would normally have to like sell his soul at a label for, you know? Yeah, that's right. I mean, he, I think he spent $10,000 on his like first phase of music videos. So it was just like a guy with a camera and some actors that they hired and he kind of directed them himself. And so that was like, uh, the, Ex, ex-boyfriend and staying in and some of like right. those really early ones. And he got uh, a little fan base, did a Kickstarter, uh, raised like a hundred thousand dollars on the Kickstarter. So that was phase two, which I come in and I did the Lemmy Freak was the, the first video. We did that for like $15,000 and saved that, that money. And, yeah. Wow. Uh, Shit. And is that a lot or a little? I think we stretched I, I think, it. I think it's a little, a little for what it, I mean, the quality is so solid in yeah. my opinion. I don't know. It's, yeah, it no, really I, I, I'm very proud of what we, what we were able to co- accomplish for, like I could never shoot that for $20,000 now. Right. That's could. what I'm saying. Um, is it, it yeah, back, you, back then it was like people working for free. I was working for free and you're just like asking favors because that's what music videos are about. And, yeah. and I felt like that was, I'd done a lot of stuff in the comedy space, but I hadn't done a music video and I wanted to get into music videos, but I didn't like want to start from scratch. I wanted to build on my portfolio. So mm-hmm. when I saw this guy's videos, I was like, I could do something more visual and fun and get into the music video space while building on the, you know, my comedic time, timing and, and grounding performance and all of the, the, strengths I've, I've acquired over the years and people and the, value me for. So was the opportunity to pitch Dave through, uh, I think I read somewhere college humor. Is that where you worked or funny? Yeah. Or yeah. You met Mike Hertz, right? Yeah. Mike. Uh, yep. 
Mike Dave's worked manager. with Electus, and that was sister companies with uh, with College Humor. Got it. So they, they just reached out to a few directors, and I uh, I love the song "Let Me Freak," and I so that's like the hardest I've ever pitched at something. Really? Yeah, I think so. Like I really saw I really saw potential in him, and he actually had me pitch for two. Uh, another video too called white crime and i did pitches for both songs but i'm like you get uh, a music video director uh who's very visual like that that just needs to be like seeing a joke and then somebody who makes it look really cool which i'd like to think i could do but i uh, you'd want me for let me free because you don't want a music video director trying to be funny because the song is doing the heavy lifting comedically right. you want a comedy director who's kind of grounding the world, getting out of the way, and uh, letting the song do do the heavy lifting comedically. And uh, yeah, I think he liked that pitch and the candor of just being like, you gotta, you can find somebody better for yeah. white crime, but uh, you're not going to find somebody better for Let Me Free. Right. I'm going yeah. to kill this for you. Like 100% confident. So then when, when doing Let Me Freak, that goes out, was it immediately well received or how did, how did it go as far as like, yeah, it was right. Yeah, it was, it was super fun. Okay. Uh, I I love that video. I still love that video. But I'm saying for, as far as the internet's perception, was it like everyone went nuts and it started hitting viral, which made Dave now beyond just having a good product, believe in you. And that kind of started to build off of your relationship to continue moving forward. He was really happy with the execution of the music video and and he liked the way we worked. Um, So I I think he just at that point saw me as somebody who was good at, at his job. I think save that money was the one where like I added legitimate value to his career. Like that, that was a next level sort of, uh, um, uh, it, it was a billboard song, you know, it yeah. was all, it, radio play. Like that was his first like big platinum record. Um, and the music video was a big reason why. Um, also, you know, Fetty Wap is uh, another big reason why. Right. Uh, I'm not going to take all of the credit, but I think like the, it was an interesting enough video concept that was executed in a way that you haven't quite seen before. Uh, that was part of the reason that made it a, a bit of a cultural phenomenon at the time. And that kind of put him on that, that next tier of, of stardom. I remember watching so. it and just being like, God damn it. This is genius the entire time. And it, and I remember having wanted I, in the room for before when I wasn't in a position to even talk, but I'd be in rooms hearing pitches from different music videos. I'm like, damn it. It would be so tight. If uh, what if you just these people who have budgets, what if you threw all the money at something really dumb? Like what if you took the money and did something really stupid with it, but then you revert reverse engineering it from the sense of like, all right, how can we make this with no, absolutely nothing and pulling it off is like what everyone I think attached to just how ridiculous it could be. And and then just, you, you made two videos, right? It was like a, a documentary about the making yeah. of it. They're both mad long <laughs> and you watch it yeah. all the way through. It's so good. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we, I, had, we worked, we worked so hard on those videos. Like, we, we shot for like eight or nine days. Cause it was just like, uh, well, we paid the camera guys we paid, but nothing in front of the camera was paid for. So all of our locations and talent were, were free. Yeah, um, right. Like the food we paid for their parking and food and stuff like that. So we did do it 
we did do it for real, but that just means like we have so much footage in the, in the edit. And it was like, it was a tremendously labor intensive project, but I think we, we really believed in it. Uh, there was a moment, I don't know. Dave liked the idea. I don't think he loved the idea until one night kind of halfway through production, we were going to, um, uh, try to get into nightclubs. Yeah. Um, and we, we smoked a little weed beforehand. Uh, and he was tr- talking to some bouncers and he was like asking for free bottle service. And they're like, no, of course we're not going to give you free bottle service. That's a crazy ass. And then he was just like dejected, like, yeah, nobody's going to give us uh free bottle service. Like it's such an insane ass. And I was like, yeah, but Dave, if they know it, we know how big this video is going to be. They would. Right. Like right. you're, it is a ridiculous ask, but also you're right to ask it. If they had a time machine, they would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, and, he's of course. Like, and he was like, I think it was a little stone. So he's like, you're, yeah, you're right. That's, <laughs> and then he like went in and it went from like me being a little disappointed that he wasn't pushing harder to me being like a little uncomfortable where I'm like, all right, Dave, he said, no, let's move on. But he just would not take no for an answer. And, uh, like through the rest of the production, like we got some pushback from uh, a manager or a producer who would be like, you should have lined up a backup plan for this thing. And, and he'd be like, no, we've got to do it for real. It's got to be the real thing. Like, Sold. Yeah. Oh my so, God. It's so well, good. I think like we had a creative group there and then that was one that like that blew up. And then Freaky Friday was another sort of step in radio. Right. Uh, yeah. The, I mean that video had, you have for save that money, I, 140 some million views or maybe wow yeah 144 that's ridiculous and then you so that finishes it's it's crazy because then you go on to with the chris brown project i remember you called me i was at my studio apartment i think my girl just moved here and you're like yo i'm gonna do this video with dave and chris brown you've worked with him do you have any tips (laughs) i was like yeah he's gonna be late like he's gonna be late (laughs) was he late yeah for sure i had it was crazy. I had like Stockholm syndrome with him though, where he's, he's late and then he gets there and his manager's like, he's in a bad mood. Like I wouldn't have a crew to say anything to him. He like might snap. He could like get violent. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy's the biggest piece of shit in the world. And then, but then he's on set and he is very nice to everybody. So nice. He's just like the most charismatic guy in the world. And then I would like throw out an idea and he'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's funny. And he'd like tap me on the shoulder and be like, oh my God. And it was like, I was in love with Chris Brown. And you just <laughs> yeah. see the power of somebody with like that sort of generational elite level of like natural talent and charisma, mm. what it can do. Cause I, I was like, I was smitten by, yeah. by the end. And to go on that like complete 180, like who does this guy think he is? To like, holy shit, it's Chris Brown. Exactly. I know. It's a lot I'm of, you know. It's like a lot of yes people around an artist at certain points. When an artist gets to such a high level, everyone's trying to figure out how to make their day better. And sometimes it's just yeah. getting that B to B connection. You know what I mean? Where it's like now you're with him and you're able to pitch him. And he's if he's with the shit. As soon as I watched the video, I was like, oh, this is so sick that he played into this. Like he really believed in this project. You know what I mean? And then yeah. that song went fucking through the roof, like through the roof crazy. And I remember being and he, I, he came two days too. Two two days of filming. The second one, he was there he? for like eight hours. I'm gonna see uh, what. Uh, 
how how many views that video has because that one went went bananas. Um, him, I was at a Staples Center and I think a six hundred shit six hundred three million views. Good God, wow. dude, that's ridiculous. He was he. he he was Drake was playing in Staples Center and Chris and him had had their feud or whatever and then Chris came out on stage at the the show that I was at and they played Freaky Friday and I think it had just dropped and I remember filming all of it and I text Mike and I text Dave so I was like yo yeah, I don't even know if you the guys remember who I am but here I have at least I have this clip if you guys want to use this Dave, I think Dave posted that clip on his Instagram immediately that was Did Drake he? is his hero so yeah, oh it was he insane was, he was obviously what a what a cosign! Yeah, uh, in front of like eighteen thousand people at Staples Center, and for them to reunite and then play that out of all the songs Chris could have chose to play too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, to come out with that is such a, it was such a banger. But yeah, you guys, it, it was so cool for him him coming to play, and then yeah, I don't know. It's a tricky thing. Like if I'm being honest, like you gotta do you want to work with a guy like Chris Brown? What do we think about like rehabilitation in society? Like what? And ultimately, I do think, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I don't want to speak to his character too much, but like as uh, somebody who made a lot of horrible mistakes as a teenager, uh, but then, I don't know, I'm, I'm rambling right now, but you're like, what do you do? Like, I want to make, I want to make people laugh and the some of the jokes in Freaky Friday, I think, are like a really great, smart jokes, and it's such a fun video. And that right. talks uh, about some really tricky stuff in some really smart ways. And I was like, yeah, it's got to be a part of this. this right. Is- and I don't think the song would have done what it did with any other artist, in my opinion. Any other artist? No. Who who else could? I just wanted to work. Yeah, because you could. Have, like Dave would want maybe to be like Usher, but Usher doesn't have that like cool rapper, like scary edge. Right. Like, uh, like Jay Z doesn't have this beautiful, like he couldn't, he doesn't sing, sing and dance. Over. He's not <laughs> right. Uh, it's, and then, and none of those guys would ever like have any reason to also kind of want to be Dave. Right. You know? Yeah. Like yeah, if you're Jay Z, no. there's there's no reason to want to switch places. Yeah, with like, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> so true. Um, so with that, you know, blowing up, obviously massive amounts of views. Do you do you get constantly reached out to about for for directing music videos specifically outside of the tele? I know you you pushed into lane you wanted to go. I don't know how often you want to be making music videos, but are you getting hit up? now because you're in this music video directing space yeah sometimes the time um but i think like yeah it's it's kind of what you're doing you get more momentum so i'm just like so much in like the the tv space um that that seems to be most of the the stuff i'm engaging with is right. uh, is in that world but it, it was funny after save that money i got so many people just reaching out to be like I, I've always wanted to make like a huge hit music video, but I don't have any money. And now I realize it's perfect because you can make videos with no money. So <laughs> let's let's work, man. Oh great! Oh god, Jesus! You need to find a way to filter those emails. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, 
it's like you no, this is a novelty song about saving money. That yeah, why. that's not how that works. I mean, I could keep working for free. Oh my god, that's so ridiculous. So with you know, okay, cool. You've had this career path. I know I'm gliding through it, and this deserves a, a much longer interview. But um, oh, I'm rambling a lot. I'm not giving. I'm not doing you any favors. No, you're doing. This is awesome. I fucking love this shit. So you go, and now Davis has been curating this concept for his TV series for how long? Because mm-hmm. I, I remember I watched some random interview that you you said that he was talking like when you guys were shooting early music videos, you would bring up that. Dave would like mention like this is for the show. Yeah, this will be this will be in the show. This will be in the show. Uh, that was always like, I first time we shot Lemmy Free. I thought this guy was unbelievably talented. I was like drinking the the Dave Berg Kool Aid uh, to a ridiculous degree, and he wanted this was before his first album, Professional Rapper, came out, and uh, I remember him saying like, Yeah, I think this obviously. This, this isn't going to be the album that makes me Kanye. And I looked at him like, yeah, no, no shit. This album, you think you're Kanye? Uh, and, uh, but over the years, the more he's just like called his shot and like, uh, he's, he is even more talented than I appreciated at that time and has gotten more talented since. And, he has a thing like, I'm going to have the best show on television. I'm going to be like the biggest star in the world. He has this, uh, it's funny cause it's like self deprecating rap. It's, he, he is at his core, like a small dick show. He's the ultimate self deprecating Jewish comedian right. mixed with the arrogance of a rapper. Who's like, I'm the, I'm the best alive. Then it's like this, a beautiful contradiction that, right. that works with, with Lil Dicky, so I saw that really early on, but always like his end goal was like, I'm gonna evolve as a rapper and then I'm gonna have my TV show. And then he's, um, and like what that show was evolved over the years. And uh, I, I'm, it's so much fun to watch it because I, I really do love the show. I think they killed the it. The show's unreal, bro. Like, to go in the vein of something like uh, Atlanta to feel like that's what this could be when I started it. And then I'm like, Oh, it's really funny. And then it goes from really funny to having some really, really deep dark parts of his life that come out and friends. And and you see this kind of trial, the snake he's riding through and you just, you, it gets really deep and and I didn't expect it. I thought it was just going to be jokes, 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 jokes. You know what I mean? Like I thought it was going to be that the whole way through and, and they, the way it came together, just really brings life to the idea of what he's gone through in the past. You know what I mean? I love the show. Yeah. And also have you met Gata? Was Gator on set when we did uh, that? I don't think so. I don't think he was. I think we but have Gata, mutual friends. Gator was another person who was like kind of phase two, like me. One of yeah. the after the Kickstarter and they started doing live shows. Like he's never done a live show without Gator, so I know him really well. And to be able to like tell his story, I'm so mm-hmm. glad I got to do that episode, which is based so much on on his real life. Um, and yeah. I think having Dave have conversations about real medical issues with his real penis. And like, it's a very vulnerable show. It is. And, and then you get the, uh, Jeff Schaefer, who's the creator of, uh, of 
uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David. He, he runs that show and he worked on Seinfeld and he's just like a real comedic genius. And he helped work with Dave to make Dave even funnier. And then, wow. I did not um, know that. Oh yeah. Working with Jeff Schaefer was, was really fucking cool. Super smart guy. Oh my God. Um, so then to come in as like an episodic director for a couple episodes and, and, uh, like already having this rapport with Dave and appreciating like his genius. And also like I had a context for all the episodes cause we've been talking about it for years. And also I'm my, my girlfriend plays, uh, Allie on the show. Yeah. Right. So it, it was like, it felt like this family and, um, in, uh, in a, in a weird way. Um, and, and not like, uh, oh, we all loved each other in summer camp sort of version of, of like we were all a family like you hear in a lot of press interviews. But right. uh, a lot of like, I've known this guy for so long. I've known Gata for so long. I've known Taylor for so long. And, and getting them to like make the funniest version of a show that they could put out, but also hit some of these deeper, more personal storylines uh, was was super gratifying and then I'm so happy to see how how they just killed it. Yeah, your your first episode directing was the Gate episode? Was that the first I did, one? I did an episode 4 as well, which is like the episode with uh with Andrew Santino. Right. And then I did the Gate episode and then the finale. I think the Gate episode is what for watching I'm a fan because this is all speaking to me, right? This content makes sense and knowing people in it makes it even f- more fun. But like for my girl who's sitting there watching it, I see her, I think I saw the hook go in, in the gate episode because that was the most real shit at that point. Like there was a lot of real shit, but that was so real to see him really express what it was, you know, what he went through and for you guys to really show that yeah. and, and stuff. I mean, make, it makes him a superstar in everyone's eyes, but that was such a great, I mean, incredible episode. Was it for you? Is it challenging? Cause on, on American Vandal, you directed every episode co-directed. Yeah. I directed every episode. Right. So direct having directed every episode of a season, how, what's the difference between doing something that you've done every episode to coming in and just doing parts of it? Cause it's almost like you, you're, collaborating on other episodes by playing off of certain things that other directors do. How, how is that experience? Well, I said this to, to Taylor before we were shooting. I'm like, is this going to be interesting? I'll be directing you, but in a sense, you'll be my boss, right? Cause you're the, she's the CEO of Ali and she'll be there in episodes that I'm not directing. And, and afterwards, and same with like the cinematographer. I'll, I come in with my shot list, how I want to block it. I'll talk to the writers about like, why'd you pick this? I'll pitch them some things and I'll talk to Dave and I'll be able to like, I'm a voice, but ultimately if I, if I'm like, I, I think I was thinking we would shoot it from here. And then Brian, our DP is like, no, we don't, we don't use that lens on this show. Like, All right. Like that, that makes sense. Right. And, and I trust. And, uh, so, it's not even just like directing every episode as much as it is being the creator and the director. So I was like the Dave and the, the, the director of American Vandals. So it was easy for, easier for me to just like execute what I know my vision is. 
where for this, it's like, I'm throwing ideas out there. I'm working with the actors and presenting like a shot list that would often get thrown out by Dave and Jeff and Brian, but it was just like a, a, a starting point. And then we're just kind of working as a unit. So it was, I would have probably hated it if, uh, I didn't have so much respect for uh, the Jeff Schaefer. If if it was the talentless hack version of Jeff Schaefer and I just had to bite my tongue as like they're making bad decisions, right. it would be a pretty brutal job to not have that power. But in a position where you're like watching people uh, work around you in a really effective way, it's cool to be more of a cog in the machine. Right. I love it, man. And, and I think that the, the whole... Everyone quarantined right now, looking for something to check out. If that somehow tripped on their plate, the feedback that I see talked about online is how how much people love this show. You know what I mean? Like it's so well received. It's insane to see. I'm so happy. Yeah, that's incredible. So, and also to to end with this one, did you did you did you know how how early in advance did you know that you would be a part of it in some way? Did Dave always tell you like, oh, we're going to make a show and you'll direct some episodes at some point? Or was it once it was like greenlit and then they started working out who the directors were? Like how how early did you find out to the time that you started working? Yeah, I think so. We, we've always talked about it. I mean, they did the pilot of that while I was doing Vandal season two. Mm-hmm. So like I couldn't have done it if I wanted to, but it wasn't like that was the conversation that we had had. And the fact that they got Greg Matola, who made the best comedy movie of the past 20 years, maybe, yeah. um, is like, I, I, no, it wasn't like it was mine to have it, but also like if I wanted it, I could. But it, we had always known, I had seen drafts of scripts and we had marked up the scripts and every step of the way, he's like, I really love this guy, Jeff Schaefer. I'm like, well, Jeff Schaefer, seems like a genius and if you have like and i would you're like well jeff says this jeff says that i'm like oh you're getting like really good advice from him yeah. and i was just like involved with the process the whole way through right no that's I awesome the pitch and help them work on the pitch and um but yeah man he he really called a shot and i'm so like and and he worked his ass off on this show like seven days a week in the edit um dave put everything he had into this show. Yeah. No, I'm uh, well deserved. I mean, just through the roof applause. I, uh, this is cool. Cause that you just announced that in by now, when everyone's listening to this, this will have dropped, but this Friday, uh, you're dropping a new series with Netflix. Is it a series? Yeah, it's a series. I did one episode. So it's six different documentaries about six different trials. It's called trial by media. And it's, um, about, cases uh, that were sort of contaminated by the media and the court of public opinion and how like lawyers are trying to play to the cameras and all that. And uh, I was mm. able to do the, the, the first episode. That's cool. So, yeah, so I watched that on, on Friday. Yeah. How was, uh, what's the experience like that doing something that's actually pretty serious the whole tone series, right? You're truly mm-hmm. telling these stories versus doing uh, dick jokes and um, a bunch of comedy things. Uh, what's the difference yeah. for you there? Well, I I talk about how uh, I feel like there's room to be uh, using the tools of documentaries. We're in this golden age of documentary, and you could be 
using the tools of documentaries in fun, inventive ways more than people are doing right now. So I want to make, I want to continue to like experiment with stuff like that. But in order to do that, I want to really sharpen my toolkit as a documentary director so that I could continue to like try to make people laugh with that experience. Right. Um, and then I was drawn to, uh, to this one because the episode I did is about the, this murder that happened after an episode of the Jenny Jones show in the nineties. Okay. Jenny Jones is like a contemporary to Maury and Jerry Springer and these sort of ambush TV shows where you bring right. somebody out and it's a surprise. Like I've been cheating on you for the past five years. And, right. Um, there's something like that's weirdly darkly comedic, obviously about all of this crazy trash TV footage, um, that, made it a little bit more accessible for, for me to get into initially. And then this, uh, and the story I did, uh, basically a guy comes out to meet his secret admirer on the Jenny Jones show. Turns out the secret admirer is a guy. And that was the, it was a surprise same sex crush. And they seem to laugh it all, laugh it off. And then three days later, he, he kills his secret admirer. Oh, so shit. it's about the criminal trial where they tried to argue like the gay panic defense and uh, get a, get him off on second degree or a lesser charge because he was ambushed and there were extenuating circumstances. And then the subsequent civil trial where the victim's family sues Warner Brothers uh, for the, the setup. And are, are you complicit for uh for that and then what was interesting to me is that these trash tv shows you're taking real people's lives and you're exploiting lives for for ratings right and then it leads to this tragedy and then this tragedy leads to this new event which is like the court tv gavel to gavel coverage and court tv is actually owned by the same media conglomerate that uh is the defendant it's still warner brothers so wow. now they're making all of this money on their own trial on the same tragedy uh that uh, the same lives that were being exploited by the trash tv and then uh i want with this documentary to like step out even a step further and go now are we a cog of that system are we exploiting the same tragedy for more ratings or are we bringing up right uh important issues are we any different just because like george clooney's a producer and we have like good production value and drone shots right. or are we a part of the the same thing and ultimately like i it was fun to let everybody kind of articulate their point of view and i feel like everybody's a little bit right and a little bit wrong and it was fun and and kind of freeing to just present it in that way where it's really open open-ended meditation on on the media and how it sort of can contaminate the justice system man i'm excited to watch this how how long were you working on this for production and everything for from that point of view because obviously we, it's a lot of archival yeah we shot like six days in detroit love that city mm -hmm. it was my first time and then we did uh three days of production in uh in la two days of production in la and then yeah, a lot of archive, and I think they, uh, a very talented 
editor and story producer that worked for months on this. Um, and we would just, I would basically spend a day a week for uh, a couple months working on posts on this, which is way different than, you know, American Vandal where I'm in the edit seven days a week. Right. Um, wow. That's insane. Um, all right. I want to let you go. I, can I ask, do a little Q and a thing real quick with my, the community They had some questions. If you fire to, awesome yeah. All right. Um, yeah. cool. So let's see what they said. So I asked this like right before we did this. Um, Josh Adams says, I know this question could have a million different answers, but what is your number one tip to keep in mind going into a pitch meeting? Um, number one tip to keep in mind going into a pitch meeting, it should, the pitch should be entertaining. They see so many pitches, uh, that I think a lot of people, their tendency, they read about pitches and they want to come in really academically. Here's the set setting here's the log line here's the characters here's the pilot and you just like go through explaining what the show is uh when you should go in try to entertain the the people listening to it if they can be laughing during your pitch the same kind of way they'd be laughing while watching the show that should be the goal and mm. the other rules are just suggestions right no that makes sense that's great um colton batcher says uh, as a direct, he goes, so I saw on Instagram that Lil Dicky said this was his first time acting ever as a director. Was it challenging working with someone who doesn't have a lot of experience in that field? Uh, did you, did, was there any challenges there? Not there. No, Dave is, Dave is a natural actor. I think like the, a, a lot of like Woody Allen is, uh, kind of plays Woody Allen and knows his own neuroses and he's, you just get lost and he's like, uh, he's a, he's an all timer. So he was, it was great working with a natural talent like that. What about um, Gata? But yeah, we're, we're, Gata was, Gata was interesting cause he's able, he's mesmerizing when he's lost in it and he's just being himself. But then also there are so many times you're like, no, you can't, you can't start talking as soon as they slate it. You have to wait here. No, you have to hit the smart right. and then you forget <laughs> lines and like all of this stuff you take for granted to a normal actor. Yeah. You'd have to work on with him, uh, and then keep him from getting overwhelmed. Uh, but once he got lost in it, he does things that professional actors can't do. Like oh, yeah. he really, he really, it, it, there's something about that raw performance that is just so special. Right. No, that's amazing. Um, all right. Last question. Paul shoots video says, uh, I would love to know how directors go about, um, hyping themselves up before getting on set. If you ever have issues with, uh, coming into set, like maybe not fully driven or whatever, is there anything that you do to get yourself like kind of amped up to go and kind of crush the day? Um, yeah, I think that you have to sort of hype yourself up. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I got was early on, I was like, I got a chance to direct like an Academy Award winning actor. And it was like this huge thing for me back in like 2014. Um, and going in, I'm like, I got to pretend like I, I belong, right? I got to act like I, uh, like I've been there before. And, uh, it ended up just being the the wrong instinct. Like mm. every actor should have, instead of being like, okay, that was good. Yeah. Moving on to the next take, you should be like, 
this is an Academy Award winning actor just delivering that performance. Oh my God, this is incredible. And then if, because that's how I was feeling. So why was I trying to like hide, hide it <laughs> to make myself feel cooler? Like I, I belong. It should be the opposite. Right. If I'm playing one direction, it should be the stuff that is exciting me. I should let, I got to let everybody else know that I'm excited about it. Exactly. And I think it's, it's kind of honest. It, it would be dishonest to do it for stuff that I'm not excited about. But if I like a take, if that's the circle take, it's good for actors. It's good for the whole crew to know like, all right, well, the director was clearly quite happy with that take or right. even that part of that take. Uh, and that's what people are trying to do. And, and uh, so I think it's not so much like listening to the right song before I get on set, but just that being the the way I handle myself and also and and know that that's what people are kind of looking for and expecting is something that I've kind of developed over the years. I love that, man. Yeah, that's well said. I I think that's the best way you could could kind of treat that. And there's no shame in hiding or in and showing your true emotion, especially if you're the person that's calling shots. People want to hear that from you. You know, like they I'm assuming every actor would appreciate hearing the applause and like you're doing it right, you know, versus just like, yeah, cool. Yeah. We, we both earned this shit. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Yeah. We both earned this shit. Yeah, yeah that's right. what I was. Looking back, I like cringe. Like, why was that my instinct? But also it makes sense. Like I think that would be a lot of people's instinct to pretend like you know that they're not starstruck that a, a big successful actor is working on their on their thing. Right. Who was the actor? Cuba Gooding Jr. It's crazy. I just should have just been like, Holy fuck, Cuba. Right. That's yeah. incredible. That's insane. Um, dude, I appreciate you so much for giving us some time today. Uh, quarantine fun, sucks, but yeah, this was a great, great little hour session we had there. So hopefully people find it helpful, but, uh, keep killing this shit. Your, your trajectory is ridiculous. So I'm happy to have worked with you at one point and see, see you grow. Cause it's, it's pretty exciting. Thanks man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was fun. We'll talk soon, dude. All right. Take care. Sweet. That's it for episode 182. Huge shout out to Tony for coming on the show. Make sure to subscribe to Black Window Cream Podcast if you're not already. And you can also post a screenshot of this episode on your IG stories and let us know some of your takeaways from the episode. We'll repost the best ones every week. Make sure to tag at Black Window Cream on Instagram. And uh, that's it. Thanks for uh, tuning in, you guys. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the work week. Keep creating. And we will see you in a few days, you bitch. <laughs>